Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Coffee Chats with Researchers. In this episode, I'm speaking with Dr. Ellie Silva Martinez, who comes from the University of Puerto Rico and discusses uh, just an incredible amount of her, her awesome work and just her commitment to improving the lives of those around her and survivors of intimate partner violence specifically. She brings a depth of experience working clinically with survivors of domestic violence and talks a lot about how we, how seeing researchers when she was working as a new clinician or you know a younger person to the field how she saw the value that an effective collaboration between the community organization or the program that was serving survivors and a researcher could could really bring and so she shares how that really sparked a passion for her to work to bridge the macro and the micro together. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. And hopefully we'll see you back for our next episode of Coffee Chats with Researchers. Thank you. I like to start every conversation with just hearing who is in the room. So can you introduce yourself and give just an overview of who you are and your work in the field of addressing and understanding violence? All right. Well, I'm so happy to be talking to you today. Katie is so excited to share, you know, this work that is more than work, this purpose that we have in life. So my name is Elie Silva Martinez, and I am a professor, associate professor at the Beatriz Lasalle School of Social Work at the University of Puerto Rico. And I am also co-director of a wonderful organization here in campus called Siempre Vivas, Always Alive, that's the translation that works with survivors of intimate partner violence, dating violence, sexual violence and stalking here in campus. And I've been working with research on gender violence for the past maybe 15 years. And as a social worker, I worked with survivors directly and I've been doing that for about 20 years. Amazing. So knowing that you have a 20 year history in the field, can you talk about your journey to where you are now? So sort of what got you to be in this world and sort of want to be a researcher? Well, I started out in life as a social worker. I was doing direct services with survivors uh, mainly from intimate partner violence and sexual violence. So I always knew that what I was doing, that work that I was doing was important, but I was also interested in collaborating in learning more about intricacies of gender violence and violence against women, particularly in Puerto Rico and with immigrants. That was the, the work that I was doing here. So I had the best gift was knowing researchers while I was a student. I was an MSW student and one of my mentors was doing research on the concept of resistance and domestic violence. So she was one of the few women that inspired me to, you know, just go and, and start thinking about what I wanted to do next in terms of my career. So I decided to do a PhD in the U.S. And while I was in the U.S., I also got in contact with wonderful women, feminists, womanists that inspired me to do this work. And then I decided to do all my research as a, as a PhD student was around violence against women and Latinas. And then I came back to Puerto Rico and continued do it, doing that work. My main focus has been 
honoring the testimonies of women and understanding their realities from an ethnographic lens, kind of bridging, you know, what they go through with the whole macro structural atmosphere around their experience. So that's where I started. And then while I was in Puerto Rico, I went to a new adventure in my life in that moment. And I ended up at Rutgers at the Center of Violence Against Women and Children. That was its name back then in 2011. And that's where I met the wonderful, beautiful Judy Postmas and Sarah McMahon. And I started working with them, particularly Judy, on economic abuse and economic empowerment. And particularly looking at the importance of bringing Latina into the conversation, Latinas in the U.S. and Latinas in Puerto Rico. Absolutely. I have many questions in there, but can you speak a bit? We're going to definitely get to talking about the work of the consortium and like your role in that. But I'd love to hear more about when you say honoring the testimony of women and understanding that specifically from an ethnographic perspective. Can you talk a bit more about just what that means for folks who might not fully Mm -hmm. understand and why you think ethnography is an important component of doing this work as well. Sure. So we need to order the walks of life in terms of research regarding violence against women. We've walked a long, a long way and we've discovered wonderful things. We've looked at prevalences. We've looked at, you know, characteristics of survivors in many dimensions of society and society life. But I think from a feminist standpoint, the context of research in many instances is a context that was not created for women and the validation of their words was not always taken into account because it was not necessarily objective or because it wasn't scientific enough. And then women from all walks of life get into academia and start redefining what research is. And I think for me, discovering the gift through research and particularly ethnographic research, looking at what it means, how women articulate their experience, but how that dialogues or how it relates to all the dimensions and contexts of patriarchy, for example, or the context of urban life for some people, or the context of migration for many women in in the U.S., but also around the world. What does that mean? So to be able to come and ask them to tell their story and look at their story as a valid piece of knowledge and bridging that to research, I think is one of the greatest contributions that women have made to academia. So that's what has inspired me to do this work. I love that so much around the validation and sort of the integration around what we see as fact and what we see as research. I think like you're saying, particularly in social sciences, or at least what I think you're sharing, but is the reality that how do we allow narrative and story and experience and lived reality, how do we give it more credit from a scientific perspective so that we can address almost a more nuanced way to to allow people to actually feel like their journey is shown in the response. And it's not just something that like kind of doesn't resonate for them almost. 
Absolutely. And that also their experiences shed light on how economic factors or political factors, individual factors, community factors come together, you know, to, to be able to add, as you're saying, a nuanced understanding of violence against women by honoring their voices. I think that's the way that, that it should have always gone. But I think that's the way we are trying to really make spaces for women, not only in academia, but also in the study of violence against women, particularly. Where have you seen improvements or strides in that work over the years, I guess? Well, I think we, and when I say we, I'm thinking about so many women that I know and so many researchers that I know and those that I don't know, but I've seen their work and I've read their work. I think that many of us have come to academia to perhaps reconfigure who we are and occupy academia as ours. So I think in the past years, I've seen a, a lot of wonderful work honoring the voices, but also looking at so many different voices, so many different people from different areas, understanding also that this, and, and not, not only understanding, but challenging that notion of what is scientific work? What is scientific research? How does that relate to the work that many of us feminists are doing? How does that relate to, for example, development and perhaps reconfiguration of social policy for those of us that do social research? But So I think that we have come a long way. There's still some areas that we need to maybe calibrate a little bit. And it has to do, as I was sharing with you before, I'm a researcher, but I'm also a professor. So I think that we still need to provide more learning experiences for students to understand that also scientific work has to do with honoring the voices, doing it in a rigorous, systematic, but also respectful and humanist way. So I think that's where we need to kind of calibrate a little bit more. Can you speak a bit more to that? Because I think one of the things that I love to talk about here in these conversations is definitely what do you see as the next step or the work in progress, the area that you're in and the area that you focus on? So thinking about for you, it sounds like the blend of researcher and professor is, is kind of a big space where you see those things coming together. And so can you talk more about what you want to see the next phase of that, the next set of energy kind of going to in terms of your work? in the future and just like where you'd want to see the field going? Yeah, well, you know, I think that we are making important steps, trying to bridging research and research education and all of that. But where I really see my dream going is it's not only about honoring the voices, collecting the stories or the narratives and providing a platform, but also really doing it in a collective way. And I'm going to give you an example. When I came back to Puerto Rico some years ago, I really wanted to work with the Dominican community here. I saw the women, my, my sisters from the Centro de la Mujer Dominicana, the Dominican Women's Center here. And I saw how, how wonderful they were doing their work, but also how profound they were doing their, their work in terms of reflections, in terms of if there was people that really knew implications for social work, for practice, for social policy, for research, it was them. So we were, you know, sitting together one day as they were asking me to do some research with them. And I said, how about you become co 
investigators from Kauai's. And they were like, what? I was like, yeah, so let's let's do it. And they got themselves, you know, they preferred themselves and they, they were also social workers. So they did what they had to do. And they were researchers with me and we did a couple of things together. And then we decided, so one of the things, and this is the other dream that I have. We keep talking among this very small group about the wonderful things that we're doing. And we are publishing in this wonderful, because they are really wonderful, academic journals. And we are publishing and having our beautiful books in very exclusive libraries, but we are not always sharing what we're doing. So there was one day that we were, now we finish up the, the project and we were talking about, okay, so where are we publishing and what are we doing with this information, with the data? And I said, you know what? Let's publish what we need to publish. But how about we, instead of writing up for the next project, writing up the transcriptions and all that, how about we do a documentary? And they said, what? How? What? And I said, I don't know how we're go we are going to do it. So we brought in a filmmaker and she got involved with the Sempacando, which is a documentary that we finished in 2018. I'm, I'm so excited to say this. We, we even got an award in the film festival and everything. So I'm going back to what I said to you before. So I think that we still have a lot of open space to do research in a creative way, to bring people together, not only to share their story, but to tell their stories from their own voices. For those of us that work with community partners, for them not only to be community partners, as we call them in, in our proposals, for them to be researchers as well, for them to be part of whatever we publish and in terms of the documentary, for other people in the arts, in humanities, in other areas to come and bring their knowledge and their expertise to things that maybe I don't know. And finally, why... Would it be a crazy idea for us to publish with our community partners? So, because I really want to be coherent and I know that's not always possible, but we are just finishing up our book on gender balance and immigrant women in Puerto Rico and we are co-authors. So I'm from the university and my co-authors are from a community organization. We had to learn how to do this together, but we did it and we're about to publish. So I think that those are the areas that I think that we could do so much more if everybody really wanted to be inclusive of doing research and disseminating research on violence against women, but also with women and with women in all its diversity as well. Absolutely. That's so beautifully said and illustrated in terms of how research methodology, especially today, because technology and the way that people consume information is so digital and so visual that I think you are speaking to how important it is and how much research can critique itself in terms of how can we connect with communities better and offer ownership, especially to communities who were asking to support our work. And then also you're speaking to the changing dynamics of how people consume information too. So even just if we want to take the necessary methodological things out of it, like research in general, I would argue needs to be responding to how people interact now, which is not necessarily sitting down and reading a newspaper, right? Or, or reading, reading anything lengthy. We are lost in visual things. So that's amazing. 
amazing. And I'm going to look forward to linking whatever I can to your documentary and stuff like that, because I know folks would really love to be able to see that. And congratulations on winning award. And I look forward to reading the book. Thank you. Yes, yes. And you know, the other thing I was going to tell you is that perhaps one of the, the beautiful feminist values that we have, that personal is political. Being a mother has also allowed me to really think about, are we addressing the right to live peacefully with girls? And I think that another area that many of us could use and maybe we're not doing enough is why can't we get our research, what we know, what we've learned, and turn it into a story for children? The narrative to make it available to the different populations that we work with. So that has been the, the latest lessons for me, that if we really want to make a difference, we really need to take a look inside and say, okay, so maybe this is the comfort zone for me, but would it make it justice to the work that I'm doing? So sometimes, for example, for the documentary, I was scared. I know nothing. I can't even hold my phone to get a photo. But guess what? We decided we're going to see who wants to partner with us. And someone came. So I think that's the way to go. Doing collective work, getting people together from different areas, thinking about the population that we want to work with and really be coherent with that. I think that's incredible because even in some of the other conversations that we've had throughout these interviews, even when we think about addressing intimate partner violence, power-based violence, so much of the scholarship reflects that early learning can be so useful to just healthy relationship dynamics, helping young people understand how to navigate interpersonal relationships and access to information. So being able to deliver that to young people seems on a level that resonates, seems like it would be an incredible project to take on. So I hope that that comes to fruition for you. That would be amazing. And for you, like you're saying, understanding from a mother's perspective also, right? Like there is knowledge in allowing ourselves to understand our personal elements and how they influence the researcher. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it has to do with also understanding what we're doing. You know, me, for example, as a feminist researcher, everything that I do is related to where I come from. My own story, the story of my mother, the stories of my grandmothers, but also the stories of my girls. And actually in 2020, I published a story based on a nighttime story that one of my girls wanted me to tell her. And she said, I don't want you to read anything. I want from your mind. And that's how the secret of the of the ballet tutu, that's the name of the story. And as you're saying, you know, maybe at this point of being six or seven years old, I couldn't tell them. So this is the prevalence and these are the, you know, the, the factors that you need to take into account when thinking about how do you see yourself as a person in the world. But I could tell her through a, a story for her as a child that you can be whatever you want to be. And you're allowed to be. And that's the way that it should be. And I don't think that could have happened for me if I had not done the research and the work that I've been doing. So that's I think that's also the way that we heal. Also, we heal through that as well. That's such a beautiful conversation that I'm happy to know also that you and folks that work with you like kind of get to hear and think about that. I think allowing ourselves, understandably, we want to be ethical researchers. We want to be researchers that are examining our own biases and things. I think sometimes we we do too much removal of self and understanding. And like you're saying, there is 
acknowledgement that can exist that would help us ultimately both heal, especially in communities that have historically experienced more trauma and just have been exposed to more violence. There is an intergenerational element that without more long-term healing, we're going to kind of keep doing a lot of the same research because we're going to only end up with short-term solutions too. So with that, I think that's a kind of a good segue to think about sort of what's going on for you currently, like what projects, what thing are you excited to be working on in this moment? Maybe it is already what you've shared, but is there other stuff that you have going on in the bucket of work that you have right now? Well, you know, I keep working with women and immigrant women particularly, but I am so excited, so excited about this beautiful project that I have actually through the consortium looking at a population that we have not always thought of when thinking about intimate partner violence, sexual violence, gender violence in campus. And it has to do, of course, with Latinos and Latinas, Latinx college students. So with my colleagues from this project, we are looking at the experiences of sexual violence among Latinx college students. We're doing, well, I could tell you, but I won't because we are still analyzing and doing a meta-analysis actually and a systematic uh, lit review on what is out there. And what I can say is that we know just a little bit about sexual violence prevalence or disclosure reporting with Latinx students, but we don't know enough. So that's where we are right now. We are also looking at campus climate data from different universities and how it relates to Latinx students. So I am so excited about that project and I hope we can come back with you and tell you what are the final results and share them because if we really want to be inclusive, if we really want to prioritize access, we need to have the political will to see the differences in the experiences among different populations. And I think Latinos and Latinas, Latinx are worthy of that. So that's what we're doing with this with this project. Amazing. Yes, please come back. We'll do a larger group too. I would be happy to speak with the other folks that you're working with and just hear where you end up as well. So you also, again, gave the perfect segue about sort of the consortium. So thinking about your work and what it has meant to sort of be a part of that, can you speak to the experience and what you see as the benefits to being a part of this Violence Against Women Research Consortium? Perhaps this is not only my experience, what I'm going to tell you now. Perhaps this is the experience of many Latinas and many, in my case, Puerto Ricans. And maybe historically, we have longed to have a voice that is not only heard, but validated and respected. And I think that has been one of the experiences that I've had with this consortium. Maybe a historical reivindication to have Different people from different contexts, from different areas to come together in this one big table with all the difference that we may have and think together and collectively about not only the social problems around intimate partner violence or sexual violence, but also the intersections that come into play. My experience with this wonderful group of people has been that I've been able to learn from others, but also that I've felt that my voice is important. And my voice is heard and validated. And perhaps someone would say, I don't know if the word is cheesy or cliche, 
But for someone that maybe it wasn't in her cards to even get to do a master's degree, to come into a place to be able to be a researcher and to come into a place where all these wonderful people are and have a voice and being respected and validated and heard, again, I think is a historical vindication. I'm not saying that this is it. I'm not saying that we have solved everything. I know there is more work to do. And again, I think there's the need to have political will to continue making spaces for expanding conversations. But I think that is a great start. So I am very honored to work with these wonderful people and to learn and to also be mentored by someone that I think there was one point when I went to, to Rutgers to New Jersey that, that I was asking myself, what am I doing in New Jersey or, or in the U.S.? Because I wanted to be in Puerto Rico. I wanted to be home. And I always tell her I went you know, life, the universe took me there to meet duty and to learn from her and to make her my mentor. So the same with the other people that I've worked with at the consortium. That's wonderful. I mean, I'm so glad to hear that that has been your experience. I mean, of course, we would hope for that. And without a doubt, certainly the bringing together of people is just a huge step in the right direction. But I am also humbled to hear that it also offers maybe a different opening or opportunity or validation of voice that I think maybe we hadn't given enough credit to what that could offer. I'm glad for that. And I appreciate you being willing to share your experience and your vulnerability in that way too. And I'm so excited for when Judy will listen to this episode because she will be <laughs> very excited also. I know that she's very happy happy to be in partnership and relationship with you as a researcher and a human. So my last question, and then we'll send you off to the next part of your day. The question that I tend to wrap up with is just if someone were to give you an unrestricted pot of money for work things, for research or a project, <laughs> what would you what would you do? What would you take on? And so, you know, the idea being without any of the worries of how you report things back or what has to be found, what would you put that energy to if you had sort of carte blanche next step? Wow. Well, I am going to take your question as an opportunity to make it an intention so that it happens. If I had this part of money, what I would do is I told you that are the gaps. I would keep bringing people together and support their work while they're supporting the research. I would bring in not only social scientists, I would bring in artists. I would bring musicians and painters and filmmakers. I would bring children to the conversation. I would provide for them to also see themselves not only as uh, recipients, but as wise people that can also have answers to the life that we want to live and the world that we want to create. We say for them, but it should be with them. So that's what I would do. I would get people together and ask them to reconfigure what they, whatever they think research is to reconfigure that and bring again what you were saying, their true selves. Because why would we want to be something different than that? Even in academia, even doing research, even doing direct service, whatever what that we're doing to understand that our humanity is crucial to the work that we do as professionals, as researchers, as policymakers, as providers as well. So maybe, maybe that will manifest, hopefully. 
I would love to see that happen and be able to learn from everything that you put together if that does come to fruition. And like you said, we put it out into the universe and hopefully it will respond back to us. We can at least try. So absolutely. thank you so much for your time. It is always a pleasure to see you and just your both calmness of spirit and your dedication to the work is always just very enjoyable and exciting and motivating to be around. So thank you for being willing to talk to me. Thank you, Katie. And thank you for the opportunity. I hope that we continue these conversations. I hope that we can continue them. And I hope that through this conversation and the conversations that you're having with other researchers, other conversations emerge and perhaps one day we'll come back to this and say remember what you said what i heard this and there it really resonated and this is what i'm doing now so thank you so much for the opportunity thank you so much for listening to this episode of coffee chats with researchers you can always find more of these coffee chats on our website which is vawconsortium.rudkers.edu And of course, you can always reach out to us via social media or via email. We are always happy to hear from you with your thoughts, your questions, your feedback, or just generally to give us a hello. As always, stay curious, ask questions, drink coffee, and we will see you for our next episode of Coffee Chats with Researchers.